Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 44 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are recording this very late on Monday, February 8th, and I got the keys to the podcast Porsche this week. I'm Donald Wine. I'm reporting for our nation's capital, where the snow has gone, but apparently it's coming back. Um, As always, uh, my amigos are here with me to reflect on the last week of Duke basketball and football. First, in Denver, home of the Super Bowl 50 champion Denver Broncos, we have Sam Klein. Sam, what's going on? It was uh, we're, so we're recording on Monday night. It was it was pretty wild last night. Um, I have been uh, I've been recovering throughout the day. I was about to say how was how was this morning? Morning was rough. Was rough. <laughs> I, I, just... I, I I got into work basically on time, uh, but the the office was pretty quiet. I I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, and also in Georgia, we have the AT alien Jason Evans. Jason, what's up, man? Hey, dudes. A week ago, a week ago when we were here, Duke was coming off like an O for week. I think we were O for three. It was, it was pretty down. It was pretty bad. And this week we're three and O. So it's good stuff. Really good stuff. Yeah, you just you just stole my segue. So let's just start with that. Uh, for the first time in a long time, guys, Duke went three and O this week, and we get to talk about it. Um, so let's start with last week, last Tuesday's game. Um, we went down to Atlanta. It was a game that was, I was actually at, um, and I actually got to meet Jason. We we got to have lunch and had some great burgers. Thank you for that, Jason. Um, and Duke Atlanta, won. 80- Atlanta makes really good hamburgers. They Atlanta make, makes really. It was, good it was a terrific burger, and we had a great time. And Duke won eighty to seventy in a game where Coach K was absent. He was sick at back home in Durham, 
and Jeff Capel led the team to victory. I will start with you, Jason. Uh, talk about what you what you took away from the Georgia Tech game. Well, uh, let me start with Jeff Capel and um, Atlanta Dukey on the DBR boards posted something where he said Capel borrowed the keys to the car last night. And at some point, it looks like he'll be getting the title to the car. Um, I kind of agree. A lot of people saw this sort of as Capel's audition. I mean, you know, this is a guy who who has coached for 10 years as a head coach um, at, at, at both Oklahoma and Virginia Commonwealth. Um, but but this was his first time as head coach for Duke. And I really thought Capel did a very, very nice job in that game. He rotated Duke nicely from zone to man to man. Um, it felt like he used different substitution patterns than we've been used to, particularly with Chase Jeter. He he went to sort of the let's use Chase Jeter for like little short one minute spurts as opposed to giving him more time. And, um, uh, you know, and he and he went back to him even after Jeter sort of struggled a little bit. And. And amazingly, he used Vrankovic. Vrankovic. Vrank actually got some time in this game, got a minute. Now, it was a pretty disastrous minute. He got called for three seconds. And then there was like one or two possessions. Then he got called for a foul. And then he was probably done. It kind of made me long for Chase Jeter again. But the bottom line is, I thought Capel did a really nice job handling the team. And a lot of people think, you know, he's sort of the logical successor to Coach K at this point. It, it, it certainly looked like he... Uh, he, he deserved that shot at the job. Um, the other thing I want to talk about in that game, and really, to me, the story of the week was, uh, you know, we sort of always get great play from Grayson Allen. Um, we always get lots of points from Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen is unquestionably Duke's All-American, All-ACC player, you know, contender for play. Well, uh, so in each one of our three wins this week, it felt to me like we had someone else step up to help out Grayson Allen and uh, in the Georgia Tech game, it was Derek Thornton, um, who pretty much unquestionably had his best game of the year. Um, he had 17 points. Um, he, his forays into the lane, he seemed to to really be finishing really nicely in the lane. It was, uh, you know, outstanding work by Derek Thornton. Um, I'd, I'd love to see him, you know, start to get a few more assists. He's still not disturbing the ball really well. He, he's looking for his shot more than other people's shots, maybe. But uh, but I thought Thornton had a really, really nice game. Uh, sorry, I said he had 17. He had 15 points, um, you know, uh, sort of supporting the the scoring that we always get from Grayson Allen, who had 27 in that game. And, and, and you know, is a big win because Duke had Duke was on a losing streak. Everyone had lost confidence in this team. Um, and, and they went down to Georgia Tech, you know, always tough to win on the road. Georgia Tech's record... You know, doesn't indicate how good they are. They've been very good, especially at home. They've lost a lot of close games. This was their worst loss um, at home all year. So, uh, you know, something to be said for that. Duke, Duke beat them by nine, and that's uh, that's a big deal. Uh, you know, uh, Sam, what was your takeaway from that game? Yeah, I, I think that the most interesting thing was, as you mentioned, the capable element as opposed to the Coach K element, and the the biggest ways that that manifests themselves, as you also mentioned. One is that Frank played at all, which I thought was really interesting and and maybe weird, um, given that he was on a trajectory for what I thought was going to be a redshirt season. I don't know how the rules work if he's still allowed to redshirt if he played this late in the year. But it he, he would he just so people know yeah. he would have to get first of all he can't play very much more. I think maybe one more game at the most, but he would have to get injured. And, you know, and you can invent an injury. I mean, not gonna, I'm not saying Duke cheats or anything like that, but in theory, if he got injured, Duke could claim a red shirt for him at some point. But, but for the for all intents and purposes, unless he gets hurt, that that game kind of blew his red shirt. Right, which was weird because he only played a minute, and 
you would think that if they were going to make a move as important as that, that he would then start getting more minutes in subsequent games. And he obviously didn't show off all that well against Georgia Tech and has not played since. So, um, you know, I don't really know what the story is there. I don't think anybody really probed into it that much. But I do wonder what the communication situation is between Kay and Capel if a guy who is what appears to be redshirting is playing. So I don't know about that. And then the other interesting thing was that, as you mentioned, Derek Thornton played a big game, um, scored a lot of points, was was very effective for Duke uh, on the offensive side uh, at the expense of Luke Kennard's minutes. And uh, so Kennard only played 15 minutes when, again, in subsequent games, played a lot more against uh, NC State and Louisville. So it, it does appear that the coach Capel, at least to some degree, was trying to impose you know, his own, his own thoughts about the roster on this, uh, on this one game and, and the team won it, obviously it looked good. It was just weird that, um, that it seemed like he strayed so far from what the game plan has been so far, um, in a season, obviously where things haven't been going well, but well, well, wait a second, hold hold on. I I can't imagine. Do you actually think that, that he played Rankovic against coach K's wishes? I don't. And that like, I, I wouldn't presume to think that I just thought it was weird because it was so out of out of the like expectation and and you know us duke fans i think like to like to figure out very quickly what coach k is going to do with the season you know the, the substitution patterns don't don't normally surprise at this point in the year no matter how good the team is whether they're you know whether they're on their way to the national championship or are, when they're struggling and unranked like this team is um usually we have a pretty good idea of who's playing how many minutes and where the substitutions come in and it was just it was strange to see Rankovic, especially with Sean Obi on the bench. Um, you know, if you need if you need one minute from a from a big guy who's not going to do much, why not play the guy who doesn't have years to say? I don't know. It was weird. Um, I thought that I thought that that whole decision making process was strange. And I, and I I I don't know if if people followed up with with Kay or Cable about it, but it was a weird thing. What I am glad about is that Coach K came back. Um, and I guess we'll talk about the next games. Donald, did you want to add anything about Georgia Tech? Yeah, Donald so, was there. Donald, you saw the game. What was it yeah, like to be in, this, in the, the Thriller Dome or whatever they're calling it nowadays? It, it was great. It was actually a very nice arena. I think they've done really well with the uh, sight lines with the uh, renovation that they did a few years back. Um, it was my first time there. I went with one of my best friends in the world uh, and his father-in-law. Um, and so we were right uh, maybe 10 rows behind the tunnel uh, that the Duke players entered into the arena from. Uh, and I will tell you that the arena, it was not 50-50, but it was probably 52% Georgia Tech, 48% Duke fans. It was about an even split, um, and we were loud. It was a very loud arena um, anytime anybody scored, which kind of made it uh, pretty interesting in the first half because the game was kind of going back and forth. I will say when Vrankovic checked into the game, you could tell that Capel looked down, and he meant to say Vrankovic. It wasn't like he, you know, said Obi and pointed at Vrankovic, and there was a couple guys, like, trying to figure out who was supposed to get up. It was a clear Vrankovic going in and sitting at the very end of the bench. He was down, like, even past uh, uh, Pagliuccia. Like, he was all the way at the end of the bench. So it was very shocking to see him come into the game, um, and I, I mean, for me, it wasn't shocking to see him check out after a minute. It was more like it, it, it was it was more like that was a, a planned move um, on somebody's part. And I'm not sure. And, and like Sam said, we may want to follow up and see what that deal was. But um, it was very interesting to see that. What I will say is Derek Thornton's 
uh, Derek Thornton's game really escalated in the second half, and there was something that happened at halftime as they were walking off the court that really led that that charge. He was getting yelled at by everybody on the team after he had a very terrible sequence to end the first half. And when I mean everybody, I mean the coaches, every single player. Matt Jones gave him an earful, and it was one of those things that you, you could see that he was very visibly frustrated getting off the court. But he came back with a new attitude in the second half, and he was probably the difference in the game. There was that difference, not only with Grayson Allen stepping up to, to you know score a lot of points, but also one, one change in the second half that we made is we went to man. And that's something that we have not said in previous years where we say, hey, guys, the difference was we switched to a man defense. It's usually we switched to his own defense, and that was the key um, from the man. But this time the, – the By half, the way, they were, they were eviscerating our zone. Our zone, Tech, was, our zone was terrible. Tech, they shot like 60% against our zone. They, they could not miss against the zone. Yeah, and, and it, was all, it was all layups and, and three-pointers. It's, like, it's not like they're the first team that has eviscerated the zone defense. This That's is true. true. That's true. But the switch to the sec- in the second half to man was really what led the comeback. I mean, that's what I, – it's almost like the team felt at comfortable going back to their, our roots. Because, I mean, our roots are the man defense. We, it's only been the last, like, year or so that we've really been honing in on the zone uh, defense. But uh, I think that was the key. Um, I, I don't know what was said in the locker room at halftime, but hats off to the coaching staff for having the team prepared in the second half. Hats off to Jeff Capel for – what was obviously a difficult situation, uh, making making the best of his opportunity to uh, get some shine at, in, in the head coaching position, even on if it was for a one-game basis, and the entire team for their play, especially in the second half of that game. Yeah, and hey, Capel made a halftime adjustment. Duke is not usually a big make-an-adjustment-in-game kind of team. So props to Capel for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so that will, I, unless you guys have anything else, I think we can move on to the NC State game, which was last Saturday. Um, that was a pretty tough game, um, back and forth a lot of the way, but we pulled away at the end, 88-78. I will start with Sam. Sam, what did you take away from that game? Well, it was my first game in Cameron in a couple of years. I was down there with my father. Um, for the, we, were, we were in Durham for the day uh, to go to the game, which was a lot of fun. Um, I know that some people have been saying that, Cameron's not quite as exciting or, or loud or whatever as, uh, as it has been in years past. I didn't think that was the case. I thought that um, the crowd had a lot of energy in this game, especially in the key moments. The uh, Duke obviously came out and played really well in the first half. And then in the second half, there were times where it seemed like they were going to falter and, and uh, not necessarily give the game away, um, but they weren't executing down the stretch the way that we're kind of used to Duke teams doing and the way that they did much better against Louisville tonight. Um, so, again, very impressed with Kat, with the duo of Cat Barber and Malik Abu. Abu was all over the place. Um, and, and of course, the uh, recognition due to Caleb Martin for remaining standing for the entirety of the last, like, five minutes after he had fouled out and not letting the crazies give him the SIA treatment. So, um, so good for him um, for, for withstanding that and managing not to get a technical because it sounds like he, he might have been eligible for that. But I want to talk about Duke, and I want to talk about the offense that admittedly NC State doesn't have a great defense, but um, Grayson Allen and Luke Kennard were really, really strong in this game. Um, Allen went six for no, I'm looking at the wrong, uh, looking at the wrong stats. Grayson yeah, Allen, Allen went. Uh, Allen was six yeah. for eleven, six for eleven yeah. from the field, and Kennard was six, 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 for, six for, 11 for eleven from the from three. Yeah, so um, a a really strong game from from the pair of them. Kennard obviously coming off the bench, which appears to be the the rotation move now, but he played 32 minutes 
and uh, and was very effective. He he made a bunch of threes. There was a point where uh, where he took one I would call ill advised heat check three, but uh, ended up scoring twenty six points and and just having a monster game. So those guys really carried the load, and and I was very impressed watching them. Kennard appears to have um, kind of broken through that that you know few weeks of struggling where he wasn't able to shoot. Um, now it seems like he's he's got himself in a rhythm and he's he's a big part of the offense. So uh, that I think was the was the biggest takeaway. They also um, made all their all their free throws. Grayson Allen went twelve for twelve from the stripe, which was really good. So um, very impressed with that. I think that the uh, the defense again. I mean, it, it's hard to stop a guy like Cat Barber. He's he's able to get basically anywhere he wants on the floor. And Abu is was the strongest um, interior player in this game. But um, Duke has the all-around team that that is going to overwhelm NC State, especially on the offensive end. And that's 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 what we talked about going in a couple of weeks ago. That's what they did in Raleigh, and that's what they did here. So um, overall, I, I felt pretty good about the game, even though even though this NC State team, I think Duke should beat by more than eight points in Cameron. Um, you know, at this point in the year, given the some of the outcomes that Duke has had against some lesser ACC teams, just getting the wins at this point is good. It gives them confidence, and it obviously helps them uh, against Louisville, a much stronger team, although one, as we will talk about soon, that uh, has been through a little bit of an emotional roller coaster the last couple of days. So uh, I, I was happy about the NC State game. What did it look like to you guys on TV? Jason, I'll kick it to you. What, do you, what did you see? Yeah, I was going to say, well, I mean, the biggest thing is, uh, you know, Duke was hitting their three-pointers. Well, they were 14 of 28 from three. You mentioned Luke Kennard. Um, <laughs> last week when we talked about Luke Kennard, uh, I mentioned the fact that he was at that point below 30% on three-pointers in the season. He was at 29%, which is bad for a guy as good as him. And we said at the time we go, Luke Kennard is going to get hot at some point. And he's going to carry Duke. Um, and that's what happened against NC State. I mean, I, I know that Grayson Allen also had the great game, largely from the free throw line. But um, Kennard was bombing away. And, and, you know, a week after we said he was below 30%, this week he was 8 of 16 on three-pointers. That's uh, that's 50% for those of you who can't do the math. Um, and I think he probably has some more 50% kind of weeks in him where he hits eight or more than eight three-pointers over the course of the week and, uh, and, and can really, you know, help help carry the Blue Devils. Um, you know, I, I thought Marshall Plumley also had a pretty nice game, uh, really battling hard inside against Abu. Uh, Abu put up 17 rebounds and 16 points. <laughs> That's like, those are stud kind of numbers. But um, he, he, he did, you know, he struggled to finish a lot. He was just 7 of 18 from the field. Um, uh, and, and I think a lot of that was Marshall Plumley, you know, getting in the way and, and, uh, and being at least a little bit of an intimidator inside and not picking up fouls, which was very smart. Plumley only had one foul in that game, um, which was good. And the other thing I want to point out about that game was coming off of the Georgia Tech game where Derek Thornton had had a really big game offensively, I thought in the first half, Thornton was unreal. Some of the best defense I've seen in a long time from a Duke guard on Cat Barber. Now, look, Cat Barber ended up going off for a little bit in the second half, and that dude is amazing uh I, I think he's he's the best player in the acc with the ball in his hands um and i don't think i'm i'm you know i don't think that's a stretch to, to say that about cat barber um uh, you know he's leading the acc in scoring and there are times where he is unstoppable but thornton did a great job on him at least in the first half of the game um and and allowed 
Duke first half, which we were able to sort of nurse and hold on to for the most part uh, throughout the rest of the game. So, so props to Thornton for that. Donald, what you got? You know, so I, I, I didn't get a chance to watch the game live. I watched it uh, earlier today um, because I was at an event. But one thing, there's a couple things I want to take away. One, Cat Barber, there in football, you see a guy in college and you see a guy has great talent. You say that guy, you you look forward to seeing him play on Sundays because that's when the NFL plays. Well, of course, the NBA plays every day. I'm looking forward to seeing Cat Barber at the next level because I think he is one of the best players in college basketball and, and probably is one of those guys that may not be in the national player of the year talk at the end of the season, but he should be because he plays that well at game in and game out. And he's a, he's a handful um, so the fact that we beat a uh, cat barber led NC state team twice in two weeks or soon or two and a half weeks, uh, is, is really remarkable, um, for our team. And I think that is credit to, um, our coaching game plan. There is something about Marshall Plumley that just has captivated me all year. And especially over these last couple weeks, he has been at times, the guy that you like, you are kind of sitting to, sitting to yourself saying, he's dominating the game, get him the ball. And it's not necessarily on offense all the time, it's not necessarily on defense all the time, but there's points at every game where there is a Marshall Plumley takeover of sorts. And you had this against uh, NC State, especially on defense. You were talking about his defense against the Boo, who even with the 17 rebounds and 16 points, really, it, it wasn't really him that was kept at bay, it was the fact that Anya was kept at bay for a lot of the game. Um, and that is usually what kills us against NC State is that we can't contain both of them. Um, it's, usually a, it's usually Anya who does not score that many points uh, over the course of the season uh, on, on average. Um, he usually ends up going off against us, and he didn't really do that. It didn't really seem that way to me, at least for the eye test. Um, but Marshall Plumley, even against, you know, again against Georgia Tech, he did it uh, tonight against Louisville, and we'll talk about that in a second. But he has a, a, a tendency to really get into the game, and you can tell that he has the fire. And if there's a lull in our team, if our team has lost some momentum or some mojo, he's the guy that's getting it back for us this year. And, and it's really uh, amazing to see that from him because it, just the trajectory that he's had over his, you know, over the course of his career, it, you wouldn't think that he would be the guy that would be the mojo spark uh, for this team this year. But he is, and I think he's been doing a great job at that, and I'm really proud of him for it. So I, I, guess I that, agree. I, no, I was going to say, you want to talk about Louisville? But yeah, let's talk about Marshall Plumley. <laughs> no, that was, I, that was all I had. You guys have anything else? We can talk about uh, Louisville. Well, you know, let's take Marshall Plumley as a way of segueing to the Louisville game. Uh, you know, Marshall had a really nice game against Louisville, and, and he's been doing that constantly for us this season. Uh, the Louisville game... To me, the most amazing thing about that game was the way Duke won it at the free throw line. Um, I, I want to give you guys an amazing stat. So starting at the 8.30 mark of the left in the game, eight and a half minutes left in the game, Duke had at that point taken 10 free throws, which is, you know, not a lot, not, not, not a lot. It's sort of, you know, a middling kind of number. Eight and a half minutes left in the game. In the next eight minutes, in the next eight and a half minutes, I should say, we shot 18 free throws. That's a lot. And we made 14 of them. Oh, I'm sorry, 13 of them. 13 of 18. At, at one point, we made eight in a row by Marshall, by uh, four by Ingram, and two by Jones. We won the game at the free throw line. And, and uh, you know, it, it, 
it wasn't that we were getting, you know, people like to say Duke gets all the calls, that kind of thing. We were clearly getting bumped into. We were clearly getting handled by by Louisville, and we just went to the line and made the free throws. It's a great way to be efficient on offense, you know? And and to me, that's what won the game. And I was terrified. I got to tell you, when we Duke had had a 15-point lead, when Louisville came back, um, it was at about the six-minute mark or so, they they took a 58-57 lead. Um, we, we then turned the ball over. Uh, they had the ball, and I was sure they were – they were going to win. I was sure that you know this was a day that Duke was going to have had a lead that went away, um, and, uh, and and I thought Brandon Ingram took over. I thought Marshall Plumlee played really nicely down the stretch. Um, that, that, you know, it had to be someone other than Grayson Allen because, dudes, Grayson Allen was exhausted. Um, I think he was completely burned by the end of that game. Um, I, I was thinking about this. You know, Grayson Allen to me gets held and grabbed onto the way J.J. Redick used to, but he also gets physically banged and mashed the way Kyle Singler used to. I, I don't know how he wakes up every day after after a ball game because he is as beaten up, as physically abused as any Duke player that I can recall, but he just keeps on coming back and giving us big points and stuff. I'm kind of rambling. I'm all, I'm all over the place on this one, but uh, you know, a huge win. The Louisville game, this is like our, our this is our best win of the season with ease there's nothing else that comes close to it in my mind um i'm going to stop rambling uh donald tell me tell me a little bit more of your impressions of the game so uh you were talking about grayson allen being tired let me give you his minutes over the last week 37 minutes against georgia tech 39 against nc state 39 tonight against louisville so i mean he's the guy that's in the game almost all the time and just like you said with jj remember we used to jj used to play literally 40 minutes every game and coach would do that whole He'd take them out. He'd take them out of the game like five seconds before a TV timeout and then check yeah, them back yeah. into the game right at 25 seconds of rest uh, real time. And it always made the difference for him. And he was always fresh at the end of games, even, you know, withstanding all that punishment. Um, Grayson Allen has that sort of thing, although I, I feel like he is getting tired at the end of games. And that's not his fault. I mean, he's getting, as you said, he's getting destroyed on, you know, every single possession. And he's still doing the, doing the thing. So, uh, props to him again, Marshall Plumley. He he had his moment where he basically he he got a couple points, got a couple dunks, made a couple free throws. He did everything that you wanted to see somebody do to win. If there's something, if there's mojo that needs to happen, if there's a momentum change, and there's a couple times where the game as a whole fell flat. And even if we were like making points and or like we had a couple threes, um, but we'd miss a shot and then. Louisville would get an and one at the other end and all of a sudden, bam, they're within one point. And it just seemed like we weren't able to really pull away in this game. I mean, that's Louisville's nature. I think they're a very tough team. Um, and, and it's kind of a, a, a shame that they won't be playing in the postseason. And we'll talk about that a little in a little bit. But uh, this was Cameron's 1000th game. And I think this sort of game is kind of defining our team, the grit th- that we need to win. Is, is what we've seen over the last week. And especially at the end of games, this team has come together. They've made their free throws. They're, they're not necessarily making all the right plays at the end of the game, but they're making enough of them to secure the victory. And I think that's what you need to see, the confidence of, of being able to close out games and move forward is one game at a time is what this team is really going to need, especially as we move into the real meat of, of the schedule. Um, Sam, what did you see? Yeah, I think that Grayson Allen, as you guys pointed out, was the star of the game, although he did have the 
um, questionably flagrant uh, tripping call, which uh, I, I, I honestly, I mean, it might just be the Duke glasses on me. I really can't tell if he was trying to trip the guy or if he was just turning back around and looking up court. Um, I think he was tripping him, but but I'm not sure. Uh, but as you said, he, he plays uh, he plays so hard um, just through the whole game. And yeah, he does get tired, but um, I don't know, maybe they can adjust the practice schedule for, for him and for Brandon Ingram because those guys are on the court, as you point out, like the entire game. And Coach um, K said after the game that um, him, uh, I'm sorry, Allen, Ingram, Jones, and Plumley are all banged up from from these past games, whether it be small, you know, slight knocks to knees or, or ankles or something like that. So it I, it's not practice. They, they apparently they're not practicing at full strength um, because they really can't with with these six players. And and Jones. Um looks tired. I mean, most of the games, you know, he, he, he still made a few good plays. As you point out, he was part of the, that, that stretch at the end where we were making all the free throws. Um, but he, he does look tired out there and, and you would have to imagine that the practice schedule is going to have to get lighter, at least until Emil Jefferson comes back, because these guys are all playing huge. The, the guys who are playing are all playing huge minutes. And, well, and, and, and by the way, you mentioned Matt Jones in the final eight and a half minutes, Duke had two baskets. We had Matt Jones's Sort of, it looked like he was going to take a little pull up or something. Suddenly he spun, and suddenly he had a wide open layup. And yeah. we had the 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 buzzer beater. You know, literally, I'm putting it up, spinning around as the shot clock is expiring with 30 seconds left in the game by uh, by Derek Thornton that went in. Uh, those are the only two buckets. Duke made two field goals in the final eight and a half minutes. Those are it. So the the, the theme here is that we we are seeing the team slow down a little bit, but. Um, as you guys said, this was this was probably the the best win of the season. This Louisville team um, has obviously just recently had their season torn apart by the fact that they're not going to be able to go into the postseason. And we'll again we'll talk about that shortly. But um, but they you know you figured that they were going to come out and play with with some fire, and and Duke managed to match it. Obviously, they have the Cameron crowd behind them, um, but a but a really gritty and good win, and, and a win that I think you know we we didn't get to preview this Louisville team. I think we, we figured that we might record before this. So we didn't, I don't think we did a full preview for Louisville. Um, but this Louisville game begins a stretch where Duke is playing Louisville and then UVA and, and UNC and Louisville again. Um, and then I think Pittsburgh comes, comes right around uh, after that uh, soon. So this is a stretch of the schedule that is very tough for Duke. And I would have said coming into that four game stretch of Louisville, UVA, UNC, Louisville, um, Duke would love to be two and two at the end of those games, if not three and one. Um, one and three was probably, you know, going to maintain the national perception of Duke. But they've already got the one win out of the way, and they have um, they have a nice long layoff now before Saturday's game against UVA to rest up and prepare for that for that UVA defense. So um, so taking care of business against Louisville at home is 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 really big for this Duke team. Hey, hey, guys, let's let's get to this this the the Louisville story, which is at the end of last week, um, Rick Pitino said the athletic director um, and uh, like the president of the university came into his office and said to him, hey, you know, we've got a we're in big trouble here because of this this scandal involving prostitutes being provided to players and to recruits. Um, and, and Louisville announced and Patino had no part in the announcement. Um, or at least no part in the decision. They they said we've done some investigating and and we're banning ourselves from the postseason this year. Um, and guys, we need to talk about this because before we even get into, I, I do want to talk with you all a little bit about 
whether this is fair, um, because there's lots of talk about whether or not, you know, some guys on Louisville, especially Louisville has has two fabulous senior transfers who just come to Louisville for the first time, who who came specifically because they wanted a chance to, to have a March Madness and play in an NCAA tournament. And that's now been denied them. Um, and, and I want to talk with that with you guys about that. But before we get to that, um, uh, th- this could be a really, really serious scandal for Louisville if if they have only done sort of a preliminary investigation and they immediately went, we got to ban ourselves from the postseason right now. That means there's some bad stuff that's still to come. <laughs> I think this is going to turn out to be a very, very serious scandal. Um, I, I have a number of Duke friends who we've been talking about this, and one of the things they pointed out was this assistant coach, uh, McGee, who who had been providing these these hookers, these call ladies, um, he was not making big money. He, he was not like some rich assistant coach. Um, so there's some real questions about maybe where the money for these hookers came from. Um, and that could be... That could be a very, very serious, bad scandal for Louisville. But the immediate impact upon Duke is Louisville was a team that looked like they were almost a lock to be one of the top four seeds that gets a bye in the ACC tournament. You take them out of the mix, and suddenly Duke is right in there. Um, and, and, and it's sort of, you know, you're, you're taking out one of those teams that would have gotten a bye. So there's an extra bye spot available. Um, and, uh, and and Duke's one of those teams that's got to be looking at that and saying, hey, this is a chance for us to get that buy out of the first round of the ACC tournament. Not that it's a game that you might lose. I mean, you, I guess, sure, you could lose to anybody in the ACC except Boston College. Um, but, but it's a game that you don't have to play, and, and Duke is so thin. Um, even if we get Emil Jefferson at some point, we're still really thin. I think, you know, trying to strive now, maybe maybe have a good stretch here, maybe win some of these games against some of these top-tier teams and get our way back into the top four, that could be huge for Duke in the ACC tournament. Yeah, the the key there is that Duke has another game against Louisville, so obviously that that isn't going to be a, a factor in, in the head-to-head, but they have a game against UVA. UVA is only one game ahead in the loss column and still two games against UNC, and UNC is two games ahead in the loss column. And, and you know, Emil Jefferson is going to, I believe, is going to appear again this year. And because the cone of silence says that none of us will know when Emil Jefferson is playing until he is on the court and playing, um, you know, if he gets to play in one, if not two UNC games, that could be the difference in Duke being able to upset a UNC team that has mostly looked pretty strong, although they did lose over the weekend to Notre Dame. Um, so Duke has opportunities to take out good teams in the ACC and and get some of those tiebreakers back that they've you know already lost to Notre Dame and to and to Miami. Um, so this news comes at a at a time when Duke, as you mentioned, Jason has has an opportunity to climb back into the top four and. And even from a week ago, if if you had said, yeah, you know, things things might shape up for Duke here soon, and and they'll and you know maybe they'll they'll get a top four seed in the in the double buy in the ACC tournament. I don't think anyone was thinking that was going to happen, and, and now it's looking like a possibility. They're only one game out of that um, of the spot in the loss column, which is three losses right now um, to be in that top four. So uh, you know, a lot is going to happen in the next month. We still have a month of ACC play left, so a lot can can and will. I would imagine happen um, to shake up the those standings, and and you're right, this is a huge opportunity for Duke. I do you want to talk about the the effect on Louisville? Or you want to keep going on the Duke front because I, I you know I, I think I agree with with the general consensus, which is that especially for those two grad transfers, it really really stinks um, that the that the university decided to to pull the plug on the postseason for this year. I don't know if it actually means that the scandal is 
as big as you might be imagining, Jason. Uh, it might just be that they're trying to get out in front of it, and and maybe they're they're looking at you know uh, how how things might end up happening with UNC and all the and the academic scandal there, and say you know we don't we just don't want to drag our feet on this. We don't want it affecting recruiting, and the best way for it not to affect recruiting is to is to um, punish themselves now. And it obviously stinks for the players, uh, but it'll it's the fastest road I think for Louisville to recover quickly from it and to move on. Um, Patino's obviously an older guy and you don't know how many years he has left to be coaching this team at a high level. So um, to get it out of the way quickly seems like the move for them, although obviously it comes at the expense of the players and especially the guys who transferred in this year. So that that's really a shame for them. Um, are, yeah. are, wait, 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 wait. So so are you saying, see, here, here's my problem. Yeah. You're saying, oh, you know, it's a shame. It's a pity for these players and the such. And, and that's what we yeah. hear. You know, Dick Vitale. Dick Vitale's going no, crazy on this. Wait, 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 hold on. Vital yeah. and, and Jay Billis, everyone's like, it's unfair. It's no fair to these poor players. Okay, what's the other solution? I'm, I'm open. I'm all ears. Hey, you want to tell me it's not fair? Fine. What is fair? I think that I think that imposing sanctions going forward is the way to punish the program, because because as I was just saying, from from the university's perspective and from the athletic department's perspective, the best thing is to punish themselves right now, because then they don't have to deal with with it in recruiting. And that's the place where where your program gets killed is in recruiting, especially in basketball, where it only takes a couple guys to make or break your program. If if Louisville can't pull in, you know, a top 50 recruit in the next two years, they fall off the radar pretty quickly in the ACC because they're competing against a lot of other good programs. So in the athletic department's case, it's let's get this thing over with soon. In the NCAA's case, if they want to punish the program and make it make it really hurt for breaking these rules, um, then they impose scholarship limits for the next few years. So they impose uh, they impose these postseason bans in the future and let the players leave, uh, you know, as as much as they want. That's the way you punish the program as opposed to punishing the players. And it's tough because, um, you know, it, I, I don't think we, I don't think we know the full details of like who benefited from this thing. Obviously I mean, the benefits are all for the players because they get the hookers, um, which, uh, you know, if you're into that sort of thing, you're into that sort of thing. Um, but uh, the, the, the punishment here, I think hurts the players a lot more than it hurts the program. It helps the program as far as we have to get some kind of punishment out of the way. So let's do it as quickly as possible. Um, you want to make the punishments going down the road. You want to, um, you know, like what they did with, with Syracuse with forcing Bayheim to sit a certain number of games a year, or Larry Brown. Um, those are things that hurt the program. Those are, those are the things that affect the program going forward. And, and the NCAA may still come down, which they did at Syracuse. They may still come down in a year or two and say, all right, well, one postseason ban is not enough. You're going to have to give up scholarships, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, those are the things that hurt the program, and so and so maybe those things are coming, but we just don't know yet. This is this is the university trying to do the easiest thing to get out of it, uh, so it makes sense from their perspective because they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna be done with it soon. It's gonna be all forgotten in April. So Donald, Donald, I want to ask you. I'm gonna. Uh, so Rick Pitino did an interview with Sports Illustrated, mm-hmm. and here was Rick Pitino's suggestion. Donald, let me let me ask you, what do you think of this? Rick Pitino said, if you're on Wall Street and a corporation does something wrong, the SEC comes in and finds you. Pitino added, his opinion is the school should be fined. He said Louisville should be fined $10 million. They shouldn't be allowed to collect any money from the tournament. And the coach, that's him, should take a hit in his salary. Pitino said 20%, 50%, whatever. But the kids should not be penalized. What do you think about that? So this is a interesting case and and here's why the allegations didn't 
one, they may affect players that are currently on this team. Oh, and, and you're right about that. By the way, all the guys who are juniors and seniors on the Louisville team almost certainly got the benefit of these but, ladies. But there's also the added element that not everybody who got this added benefit ended up at Louisville. Um, and so you have this spread out. Oh, I mean, so, so in other words, there's the question of, you know, does it hurt the players? And yes, it does. But there is no real system to punish retroactively, except for taking away wins, which really, did, like, when they took away Syracuse's wins, you're sitting here like, look, guys, we saw them win those games. So it doesn't really matter if you take them out the record books or not. They still, in the end, we saw them come to, you know, where, go to wherever and win. So you don't really get that out of your mind. But the thing is, like, there's there's players here that may have benefited from this. There's players that are other schools that may have benefited from it. And it may not have been the recruiting advantage that Louisville might have thought it would be when uh, this assistant coach or graduate assistant, whoever he was at the time, set up this little, little program. So the problem is finding a school – so finding a school could mean one of two things. Where is the money coming from? That's one. Does it come from the a- athletic side? Yeah, and I think, I think that's and the that biggest thing. That's and a that big thing. sports that had zero to do with this. Um, yeah, I'll tell you something. If, really quick, if, if Louisville had to pay, you know, at Rick Pitino's suggestion, a $10 million fine, um, Louisville probably is just going to cut scholarships to wrestling and diving and fencing. Exactly. I mean, they that's probably don't pay. clear $10 million in a year. Like, well, oh, no way. There's no way the Louisville Athletic Department. So that now that means you're dipping into ac- academics as well. So that means, you know, program, you know, majors or professors or or, you know, initiatives that they have for students study abroad, whatever it is, they're going to start dipping into stuff that has zero to do with this. And so in either way, you're either penalizing players that may or may not have something to do with this or you're penalizing other athletes and other students who you know had nothing to do with this and has although, nothing to do with that program. Although if you look, I mean, you can look at their budget and figure out how much they spent on basketball and you can, you can cut it from, you could, the NCAA could in theory come in and say, you have to cut, you know, you spent X amount of money on basketball. You've got to cut that much out of basketball next year. Right. Uh, I don't know if they would, I don't know if they would bother going that deep, but how, how do you, how do you do that? Wait, wait, how would you do that though? Well, would you I, say I, you have to fire an assistant coach? You have to cut your scholarships? Yeah, you have I to mean, not travel to games? I don't know. I mean, the, the the expenses for basketball are pretty darn fixed. Yeah, well, I mean... And theirs are probably higher than most, especially in the ACC, given that they're the ones that... They're the only ones that really are not on the Atlantic Coast, them and Notre Dame. So they have to fly everywhere to yeah. play games. Yeah, you, you know what? You know what you're going to end up doing? You're going to end up saying, okay, cheerleaders can't go to any games and... You know, other administrators, we have to cut one of our assistant coaches. And, and uh, you know, it, it, again, it's going to be stuff that doesn't really impact the really? program or the players. I guess maybe maybe you cut Rick Pitino's entire – Pitino probably makes three or four million a year. I mean, you know, that's part of it, I guess. But, I mean, well, it sounds like he ought- postseason bans – postseason bans the only way to do it. That's that's the way to really affect a school. Yeah, and I that's what everyone's did. goal is. Everyone wants to make March Madness. So if you take March Madness off the table, now you're talking a real punishment. Yeah, but but if you're but if you're cutting if you're cutting all the all the recruiting, so if you're cutting recruiting visits, if you're cutting scholarships, those things really hurt a program um, because they they hurt them for years, and it's and so you you get the um, the smaller margin for error when it comes to recruiting the kids if you have fewer visits available to you and fewer scholarships to give out, and if you don't perform in those, if you if you perform poorly. 
there are enough good programs in college basketball that you can fall way down the ladder really quickly. And especially because, as I mentioned, Patino is an older guy. He probably doesn't have that much time left coaching at Louisville. Um, hey, 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 wait, 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 wait. He's 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 younger than Coach K. But he's like four or five years younger than Coach yeah, K. So let's not get into this. But have, <laughs> but have you seen him? As one of my one of my friends was pointing out to me earlier, Rick Pitino looks like a ghost. Um, yeah, I, but he I, also I, has since like 1992. So yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. He I, I don't know how much longer he he wants to deal with all this garbage if if this is the stuff that's coming up in his program. So, um, but but and you can also imagine that that the stress of of being in a situation where he has fewer scholarships and, and fewer official visits and things like that, that might take a toll on him and accelerate that process. And if you don't have Patino anymore, um, that's a program that that could very quickly slide back into irrelevance. Where and right now, because of the fact they're Louisville, right? Like yeah. it's not like when you know, for instance, we could theoretically walk into a living room. Coach K could walk into a living room and say, "We're Duke University, come to Duke," and walk out, and the kid would be like, "All right, you're still on my list." Louisville doesn't have that. I mean, even even with their recent success, I know they won the title a few years ago, but they really don't have that opportunity, especially in Kentucky, to say, "Hey, we're Louisville. Come to Louisville." And and if you're you know if you don't come, that's really up to you. They don't have that option to really like. They have to really make their their recruits count, and if they don't well, have, I mean, then they're Don, they're in a, in a small spot. Yeah, Don, I'm. I mean. Yeah, you're. I mean, Louisville. It's a commuter school. I mean, the campus is nothing like, um, you know, some some of the very beautiful campuses that you visit around the country. Nothing like Duke, um, and it's not nearly the uh, the academic. Um, it, you know, you don't. You're not going to get kids who say, "I really want to make sure I get a good education, so I'm going to Louisville." Not not to disparage a Louisville education, but it's not Duke. It's it's not Wake. It's not UVA. It's not UNC. It's not Notre it's not, Dame. It's not. Yeah, sorry, Jason. Right. I meant to say not what UNC UNC used to claim that it was. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for the general student body, but but I will say this: um, over the past thirty years, the Louisville program has been one. Of not the one. It's not one of the top five. It's one of the top ten programs in college. I mean, Denny Crum, he won a couple national titles, didn't he? I think he did. Yeah. He certainly was in the yeah. Final Four a lot. He won two, he um, won two he national won. titles. One of was against us. You should remember it. Yes. No, I, I remember that I one. Goes out of my memory. I remember also, that one vividly. He also won one with uh, with Nolan Smith's father. Right. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yeah. So, I mean, since, you know, essentially the, the tournament went to 64 teams in the mid 80s and, and became a, uh, uh, you know, the big March Madness deal that it is today, Louisville's, Louisville's one of the top 10 teams in the country. So in that regard, I, I, I think they still can walk into a kid's, you know, if, if you're a kid and you get an offer from Louisville, that's a big deal. Um, but but you're right. Uh, I mean, you know, recruiting for them is not as easy it's not as automatic as it is at duke uh, you know speaking of recruiting and we were talking about patino a second ago i, I want to you know I, I i like it when we can make a shout out to someone on the board um there was someone who posted in the louisville thread and and this is the poster's name his name was 53n206 i don't know what that means i don't know if he's 53 years old or or he's 206 years old but 53n206 did a great post i thought that really Speaks to Rick Pitino and <laughs> and uh, and his relationship with this scandal because Rick Pitino has said he had no idea what was going on and that this was this rogue assistant coach, graduate assistant coach McGee that Pitino was like, you know, I, I had nothing to do with this. What five three n two o six wrote would be was that 
I, I think one would expect a head coach to tell his assistant, all his assistant coaches, two things. Number one, do not tell me anything that would relate to improper recruiting or recruiting violations. If you do so, I will repeat, report you immediately to the NCAA and you will be fired. And number two, make sure to get as many great recruits as you can. If you do not, you will be fired. Yeah. <laughs> so you can see how those are very conflicting messages. Uh, and I'm not saying that this guy has a uh, an inside assistance, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was something like that. If Patino was like, I don't want to hear about any of it. If anything's going on, I don't want to know anything about it. But you better get recruits, and you better do whatever it takes to get those recruits. And, and at Louisville, what it took was a few hookers. One final, one final point I, I, that has been circling back and forth, and it's kind of the uh, uh, the difference between what we see in football, college football, and college basketball. In college football, you have coaches who are show caused all the time for lack of institutional control and in those you know uh allegate when allegations are turned to scandals and they're turned into scholarship re- reductions they always say that the coach should have known that something was going on and had a duty to to stop it or to curtail it and we're talking about in football a team of you know 85 scholarship athletes or 105 scholarship athletes whatever it is now and for basketball we're talking about max 15 players and you know maybe five or six seven assistant coaches and staff and managers so you're really talking about a team of about 25 and really like i feel like patino was kind of getting a free not a free pass but he's definitely walking around this uh this uh scandal as far as his uh, his um uh responsibility to it that he didn't have any control or, or any, there's not those questions coming up the same way that they would if he was a college football coach. And I, I don't know if, if I'm just seeing that. Do you guys see it that way? It's uh, it, I mean, I, I would think that, that the coaches are, are expected to know what's going on. Right. As you say, in basketball, there aren't that many kids. Um, and, and while I think that Jason's point from the poster on the board is probably an accurate one. Um, at the same time, Rick Pitino is in charge of his program. He knows everybody intimately who's involved in his program. Um, and, and it's even if he didn't know what was going on here, it's his responsibility to know the same way it was Roy Williams's responsibility to know about, you know, the, the fake classes that his students were taking. You know, he's not obviously, you know, flipping through the course catalog to find those classes for them. Um, but but he's in charge. He's the he's the CEO of the program. And it's not a program with that many people. Um, so ultimately, this is this is Rick Pitino's thing, and 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 I I hadn't seen the SI thing about about him offering to give up some of his salary or, or all those things, but but that's the right tack here. Um, you know, he's he's ultimately responsible for this, even even if he is telling his assistants, you know, figure it out, you guys find the players. Um, so it, it's uh, he he's the one who should be punished. His program should be punished, and they got to figure out how to how to have the kids. Um, you know, not suffer the the bulk of the punishment here. That, that's at least my take on it. Jason, final word. The the, last, the thing I will add, and I already mentioned this briefly, but I really think that once we know the full details of this, we're going to look back at, at a one-year postseason ban and be like, oh, man, that was just the tip of the iceberg. I, I think that this is going to turn out to be really, really bad for Louisville because the way that they uh, they, they decided to sacrifice their season really, really quickly – and this was looking like a very, very good – I mean, Louisville 
absolutely. This is not a year where they're dominant teams. Um, Louisville was one of those 10 or so teams that that could say, you know what? We've got as good a shot as anybody of winning the national title this year. And they, they, they chucked it. And they chucked it like it took them like two hours to decide to just throw the entire thing away. I think I think something really, really bad is going to come down the pike about this. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, so let's move on uh, to back to Duke basketball. Uh, this Saturday, Coach K will celebrate his 69th birthday and an early happy birthday to you, Coach. Uh, the ACC decided to give him the birthday present of hosting number seven, Virginia. Uh, you know, I guess he'll, he'll open that gift how he, how he wants. He'll probably open that with a, a little bit of scoring towards the ACC. But you know what? It's his birthday. Let's let him have it. So uh, – Sam, uh, you've—I mean, we've all read, you know, looked at UVA this year, but uh, take a gander at what we could uh, expect to see on Saturday. Sure. So this UVA team is going to seem very familiar to Duke fans. We've obviously gotten used to the Tony Bennett teams the last few years, and while they lost Akil Mitchell and most importantly Justin Anderson off of last year's team, um, they bring back Malcolm Brogdon, who was first team All ACC last year. He won the ACC Player of the Week award last week. Uh, and they still have London Perantes running point. They still have Anthony Gill. Um, so a, a, a lot of guys who who have been um, big contributors for them are back again this year. And and once again, they're a very talented team who uh, takes care of the ball. Uh, they are they're number seven in Ken Palm on the offensive side and number eleven on the defensive side. So the defense is not quite as dominant as it's been in years past. And I think that that's probably due to Mitchell and and Anderson not being there. But um, they've got two dudes in Brogdon and Perantes who can really score from the outside. Uh, Brogdon's hitting over 40% of his threes, and Perantes is hitting over 53% of his threes. Um, and uh, Brogdon can kind of he can kind of do everything. He, he pulls down a few rebounds, he, he a few assists a game. He's averaging 18 points. So um, that's that's the guy that's the the star for UVA. But the you know the star of the last few the real star of the last few years has not been one player. It's been the it's been the quality of their defense. They they force you to move the ball around a lot, something that, that this Duke team has not necessarily been great at, although the offense has been has been pretty efficient. And then UVA is just great at, at slowing the clock down and and not giving you opportunities to catch up if you fall behind. And this team is no different. Uh, they're they're ranked number three in Ken Palm, and it's probably – Donald, you just had a whole bunch of feedback. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, you know, the – this team is hard to beat no matter how you play them because they force you to play at their speed and at their style. And I, I'm not sure that, um, that Duke is, is prepared to play a team like this. I think that having, as I mentioned before, having the extra days off is what's going to be key for them. Um, stopping Brogdon at the top, which is maybe going to fall on Matt Jones, maybe going to fall on Derek Thornton. Um, you know, if, if Jones is, is feeling better after this weekend, uh, and and can be the the defensive stopper that we want him to be. Um, then he can he can take Brogdon for a while, and and you can put Thornton on Perantes. Um But but I, I I don't know if Duke is is ready to to beat a UVA team that's this talented or that at least that is this efficient. Um, although it is on on Duke's home court, so um, you know hopefully they can they can figure out how to how to stop that um that machine that we have gotten used to from tony bennett uh it, it's a remarkable i think it is a general note on the program at uva it's a remarkable um, job that bennett has done to take a program that was really really down when he came in and and in not very long turned them into arguably the class of the acc the last couple of years i know that duke won the championship last year but but uva has been 
at or right near the top of the ACC for, I think, three years now. And it doesn't appear to be letting up. They're, they're once again tied for second place. Uh, there's no reason to think that, that they're going to slow down like that. We should remember that last year, the game in Charlottesville was the one where um, Tyus Jones made the huge three at the end, one of many late three-pointers that he made that was so good. Um, but the, the game last year in Charlottesville, I think, was a was a big defining win for, for a Duke team that went on to win the national championship. So we will probably see some highlights from that game um, leading up to Saturday, and, and it should be a good one. I, you know, Duke doesn't obviously lose a lot of games at home, although they have this year um, in conference play already. So I, I don't know that I want to declare a victory over UVA. I think that this UVA team is going to be the best team that Duke has seen this year, maybe with the uh, exception of, of Kentucky, as good as they were early in the season. They're obviously not anymore. They've fallen off a lot. Um, but this is going to be the, the best team that Duke has seen, at least in Cameron. So it's going to be a tough game. Um, UVA forces you to play their way, and uh, and we'll see. I think if Duke, if Duke can beat them without Emil Jefferson, I think it says a lot of good things about this team. And I, I guess I would be surprised if they, if they came out and, and dominated them. Um, a close win is probably all you can expect against, against the UVA team that, that takes care of the ball so well um, and, and doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Jason, did you want to add anything? So, so the main thing I would add about UVA, um, we love stats. I love stats. I'm going to give you a stat, and, and I'll tell you why this is important. So we talk about Ken Pomeroy a lot. Um, at how good Virginia's uh, offense and defense are in Pomeroy. His, their defense especially has been great for a long, long time. Um, Virginia is 350th, 350th in Pomeroy's adjusted tempo ratings. And tempo is sort of, you know, how many possessions are there in the game? Are you speeding the game up? Or are you slowing the game down? Virginia slows the game down. To give you perspective on 350th, there are exactly 351 teams in division one so only denver plays slower than uva now why does this matter because duke gets friggin' exhausted because we don't have a lot of guys who can play and i think that the slow tempo the slow pace of the game that virginia likes to play at may actually work in duke's benefit this time because i think our guys do get a little bit tired and they need a little extra rest now and then now i, I mean look uh, the, the slow tempo is not Virginia sitting there holding on the ball, letting you do nothing. They're still moving the ball around. They're still making you work. The, one of the reasons the tempo is so slow is because they're making you work deep into the shot clock to get to get off a shot that's even remotely decent. And most times it's not very decent. And, and that takes effort. But at least it's not up and down, up and down, up and down the way it is against some teams. And, and, and I think this could be something that could help Duke a little bit. I also think... You know, in Cameron, you never know when we're going to have one of those games where we just shoot really well. Um, it'd be nice if uh, if our if our friend Mr. Kennard continued to hit 50% of his three pointers. Um, that'd be a big help <laughs> against a Virginia team um, where where scoring is often at a, at a real real premium. Um, and and I, you know, is Duke favored in this game? I don't think they'd be favored, but I think it's going to be a, a close, competitive contest, um, and, and in a really important game if we hope to. You know, we talked about this earlier, getting back into that top four um, in the ACC. I, Virginia is not the defensive juggernaut that they have been in years past. I think their interior defense, especially, is is worse than it has been lately. And and I hope, uh, you know, I mentioned Kennard. Um, 
the guy who I think may have a big game against him is um, is Brandon Ingram, who, who's been playing great lately. Uh, but I could see Brandon Ingram's length, especially maybe giving some troubles to Virginia. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I think he could be a real key for us. Donald, what about you? I, I quickly, I wanted to correct myself. Um, I was reading Iowa's uh, adjusted O and D. Virginia is ninth in offense and 15 in defense. So yeah, as you point out, that it's not the defense that that they have quite had the last few years. And I also um, wanted to just bring up that you mentioned uh, that they were second to last in in adjusted pace, um, but that my team, the University of Denver, uh, the Pioneers, is is last. Uh, go Pios. That's my uh, that's the place I went to graduate school. So um, shout out to them. Sorry, Donald, continue. <laughs> yeah, so you're talking about the tempo, and last year when we played them, I remember us talking about like the tempo and how they like to keep the game slow, and basically the keys to victory were, one, being efficient on our very few offensive possessions that they would try to give us, um, but also find opportunities to run when we can um, and make three-pointers because they had, last year, they had a knack for keeping games in the high 50s and low 60s. And if you hit like 65 points, then that was pretty much your key to winning the game. This year, they're doing the same offensive like slowdown. Um, but it's it's weird because they're scoring, they have games where they score 70, 80 points with this. So, and, and those are games, I mean, those were early in the season, but even you know, recently they're, they're scoring 73 against Syracuse. Uh, they scored 77 against Notre Dame. Um, and they scored, uh, you know, seven. They scored eighty six in one game uh, earlier in the season, eighty seven against Long Beach State. But yeah, but wait, wait, seventy seven against Notre Dame is like nothing. Notre Dame, <laughs> Notre Dame. If the game isn't in the nineties, Notre Dame hasn't accomplished their goal. <laughs> right, but but my point is, last year, if they had the slowdown, even if you scored a certain amount of points, they just couldn't catch up because if they were behind late in the game, they didn't know how to speed that tempo up to get more possessions to get more opportunities at baskets what they like to do is keep that pace slow and for better or worse they keep the pace slow the entire game and so there was a point last year if you got to a certain level of points then they were then you were able to take them out of the game because they just didn't have the number of possessions needed to catch up even with their offensive efficiency this year they score a little bit more so it's kind of perplexing to see how they uh, how do kind of counteracts that you know we have to be offensive uh, efficient offensively as well um uh, obviously but we 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 want to make sure that we are scoring enough points that that little nugget kind of comes into play right like they they have this tendency late in games i mean you even saw it against wake forest when they came back from down you know 10 points in like 22 seconds they they had this point where they all of a sudden figured out how to score points quickly and i get i get it that it's against wake forest but it's weird to me that this year they do have the capability to speed up if they want to they just choose not to or they're in games where they just don't need to um so hopefully they have a point where they we make them kind of panic and and get them out of their offensive kind of flow which is very very slow um and if that happens then we do have a chance to win game especially as you said earlier because we could be better rested in the fact that we don't have as many possessions even though they're longer possessions we don't have as many possessions to worry about on the de- on the defensive end let's shift gears to football um you know the big day in football is not necessarily the national championship game for the next year and a lot of people it's football signing day and that was last wednesday and duke 
had a great day last Wednesday. They landed one of their best recruiting classes in a long time, a class that's ranked 28th in the country by ESPN. That was fourth in the of all the teams in the ACC. Um, and in some of the other uh, uh, recruiting services that you may read about, 24-7 Sports, Scout.com, and Rivals.com, they were ranked in the, in the low 30s. So this is a great recruiting class by Duke. Great gets by Coach Cutcliffe and his coaching staff. Uh, 21 signees. The class is led by consensus four-star recruits. Scott Bracey uh, from Richmond, Virginia, and Dylan Singleton, a 5'11 safety from Lawrenceville, Georgia. You may know his brother, who is on the team as a linebacker here. Sam, uh, we'll start with you as our football guy. I like the size I see with our lineman pickups, but once again, it looks like Coach is bringing in a ton of speed, which I absolutely love, and that's kind of been uh, our bread and butter over the last few years. What are your quick thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously an impressive class on both sides of the ball. There are four stars at a variety of positions. I think that um, there are, uh, you know, there are guys in the defensive backfield, which has been a strength for Duke. Um, Some guys on the offensive line, tight ends, wide receivers, uh, not a quarterback in this class, which is a little concerning, um, particularly given the sort of inconsistency at quarterback that we saw this year and the, um, and, uh, and the prospects that are coming up through the system. Um, maybe one of those guys is, is planning to emerge at some point. Um, but overall, you have to be really thrilled about this class and about, about just the number of high-quality guys who could make an impact soon for this Duke team. Um, so I'm excited for it, but most importantly, I want to see them get on the field. I know Jason had a, uh, had a story about one of the guys that he wanted to tell. So Jason, why don't you take it away with that? Yeah, so um, obviously, I mean, unbelievably excited about the quality of the Duke recruiting class. I mean, to be the fourth best recruiting class in the ACC behind only, um, I think, Clemson, Florida State, Miami, the only schools who have better recruiting classes than Duke. It's like unbelievable. I mean, what Cutcliffe has accomplished with mostly two and three star recruits is incredible. The the notion of him having, um, you know, a ton of four star recruits is really great. So one of those four star recruits this year is a kid named Mark Birmingham. Um, there's a story in the Washington Post about him. He's from Ashburn, Virginia. He's a tight end, 6'4", 235. He had offers from schools like Florida State, Miami, Virginia Tech, Wisconsin, West Virginia, Florida. Stanford and Notre Dame had strong, strong interest in him, but he committed to Duke about a, a you know midway through his junior year, about a year and a half ago, and and stuck with Duke all the way to the end. But I'm directing folks go read this, not just read. You need to watch. The Washington Post did a an interview, a, a whole video package with Mark Birmingham, and the reason you need to go watch it is this: Mark Birmingham has a severe, serious speech impediment. It was when when he started high school, it was difficult for him to to speak up in class, talk to his teachers, talk to his friends. Um, And he's worked very, very, very hard to conquer this. You can still hear a little bit of it when um, uh, when you see this piece in The Washington Post. But this is this is a kid who isn't just accomplishing great things on the football field. And he's considered one of the best. I think he was like one of the top three or four players in the state of Virginia this year. Um, isn't just accomplishing great things on the football field. Isn't just accomplishing great things in the classroom because he's chosen to attend Duke University. And we know that the football players at Duke, unlike some other schools, go to class and really take their academics very, very seriously. Um, but this is a kid who's accomplishing something on a personal level, conquering, you know, the, the speech impediment that, that was that could have potentially held him back. 
Um, and to me, I, just watching the little story on him, I, I found it to be incredibly inspiring. I'm already rooting hard for this guy um, to, to be very, very successful at Duke um, and someday maybe be playing on Sundays. I'm sure that's a dream he has. But, um, uh, you know, it, it, it speaks to the character of the kind of guys that Cutcliffe continues to bring in. Duke football has always been about high character individuals. We we see it every year with uh, with some of the Duke players who who make academic All-American and who are or all ACC. Duke always every year leads the ACC in in, uh, you know, all academic ACC players. Um, and Mark Birmingham, uh, it's just another in a line of, of really high quality people that, that we are lucky enough to have on our football team. So, so props to you, Mark. Thanks a lot for, for being a part of the Duke family now. Thanks for that, Jason. I, I think that is really good to see everybody signing uh, in a great class. Congratulations to uh, Coach Cutcliffe again and the coaching staff. And we're looking forward to seeing these guys next year, I know a couple of them are already on campus, but we'll see the rest of them come training camp in August. Uh, so we're, we're running out of time. Let's get to the players of the week. I'll start with you, Jason. Who was who your player of the week? So I went with Brandon Ingram. Um, Ingram had 14, 14, and 18 points in the three games. He had 10, 7, and 10 rebounds. He averaged about three assists per game. He had about two blocks per game. I mean, the guy's filling up the stat sheet all over the place. He's figured out how to stay out of foul trouble. Um, and the newest thing is I've noticed more often than not, when Duke's got a key possession, he's the guy who's initiating the offense. Um, I'm not going to say he's playing point guard for Duke because he's essentially playing power forward for Duke, but boy, he's coming darn close to playing point guard on, on a lot of key possessions. Um, we saw it tonight against Louisville. He, he was clearly the player of the game in this Louisville game. Um, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, every every bit playing himself into consideration for the number one pick in the draft. He's already, you know, clearly one of the top two picks in the draft. I know Ben Simmons is a is an amazing physical freak, but Brandon Ingram is uh, is right up there as well. We're we're fortunate to have this kid. He's not playing like a freshman. That's that's basically my bottom line. Um, and so he was my choice as player of the week. Sam, what about you? I had a couple options. I was deciding between, and I kind of want to know who Donald's going to pick. Donald, who are you going to pick? I am going with Grayson Allen. <laughs> okay. And uh, Grayson Allen, I, you know, for me, he was the difference in the second half against Georgia Tech. He was magnificent all game against NC State, and he was the man for most of the game against Louisville. Um, with, for those reasons, very quickly, player of the week. Okay. Um, I'm going to take Marshall Plumlee then in that case because I think that he, as, as we noted, I think Jason noted, that he had stretches in, in a couple of the games this week where he would not be stopped. Um, was that was, was Donald. 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 I'm sorry. I'm gonna, sorry. That was Donald. Props where props are due. Donald was the guy who was who was propping on Marshall Plumley. Yeah. Yeah. So Marshall Plumley had had moments in in a couple of the games this week where he was he was really good on both ends of the floor. Um, you know, we we say it every week, but it bears continued repeating that the strides that he's made this year have been unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I don't know that we expected nearly what we're getting from him this year. And then the other player that I wanted to to briefly give a shout out to was Luke Kennard because in the game that I went to the Saturday game against NC state, he was on fire all over the court. Um, so it, it was Marshall Plumley with, with Luke Kennard as my runner up, but I'm glad you guys picked a variety of dudes because, because this, the, this recent stretch of wins has been owed to the team as a whole, um, which has looked really strong. And Jason, I, I wanted to echo your thoughts about Brandon Ingram playing what appears to be point guard. Um, you know, there was a, there was the sentiment coming into the summer that if Duke, didn't have a point guard. I guess this was this was before Derek Thornton committed and was and was going to enroll in the fall. Um, there was concern about Duke doesn't have a point guard. What's going to happen? 
okay, now Derek Thornton's going to be the point guard. Well, at this point in the season, Derek Thornton isn't really the point guard. I mean, he he will run point when he's on the court, but he's only on the court for maybe 25 minutes. Um, for the rest of the time, you're right. Brandon Ingram has been one of the key ball handlers for Duke, and and it has played out probably as well as you could have imagined. So that that part to me is really impressive. Um, in these again, these wins, there have been um, there there have been a number of times where where Ingram was handling the ball, and that was really cool. So I think there are a lot of guys that could have been deserving of Player of the Week this week, and I'm glad we got to mention them all. Well, we did mention all of them because because Derek Thornton had um, his his best yeah. week. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. A good point. And I think now we've mentioned them all. I don't think there's anybody else. Uh, and Jeff Matt, Cable. Matt Jones, we may, and Matt, we mentioned Jeff Matt Cable, Jones, too. Jeff Cable. Matt Jones and Jeff Cable. Now we've mentioned everybody. Now we've mentioned everybody. Okay. And we, need, and we need to get Emil Jefferson back. Once we get Emil Jefferson back, he's player of the week. Gosh, we yes. Emil Jefferson back. <laughs> I want to see him back playing again. I know. All right. Quickly, parting shot. Sam, let's we'll start with you. Um, I was going to talk about Brandon Ingram playing point guard, so I already wasted it. Um, Jason. Uh, so... Um, Oh, wait, the, no, sorry, stop. I did have something that came up during the show. Um, I, uh, I I was looking at my Twitter feed while you guys were talking at some point, um, which is probably one of those moments where I came back in and it sounded like I was spaced out. Um, Oklahoma beat Texas tonight on a buzzer beater, and after the game, this was tweeted into my into my timeline from somebody else. Um, they were interviewing um, Buddy Heald, who's the, who's the star uh, guard at Oklahoma, who's the – I think is almost certainly going to win national player of the year. And he admitted during the post game interview that he doesn't go to any classes. He uh, um, said they, they were asking him something. And he said something about how uh, he doesn't, he doesn't go to any classes. All his classes are online or something. And it was like, oh, oh, okay, that's, we got to move on from that. Um, yeah. So that was, that was a funny moment. I'm sure you'll see it tweeted all over the place. So you can, you can look up, Buddy Hill doesn't go to class. Yeah. So, so that brings up for me, I was on Duke's campus on Friday. I wanted to stay till Saturday for the NC State game, but I couldn't. I was on Duke's campus on Friday because my son is, was visiting. We're looking at the engineering school there. Um, and uh, as we were wandering around, you kept on seeing students coming out of classes and stuff like that. And um, one, of the, one of the things that I noticed was you kept on seeing athletes, especially basketball players coming out of classes. We passed Sean Obi um, and Emil Jefferson, both of them coming out of classes at various times. Um, Sean Obi was in the uh, religion. Um, I saw him in the the uh, coming out of a religion class, and uh, I saw Emil Jefferson. It looked like he was coming out of a poli sci class, although you can't really tell where poli sci is the exact same way as you can with religion classes. But um, uh, yeah, so Duke players attend class. That's a sure thing. Okay, so so my parting shot though. So guys, <laughs> um, a a well known basketball strategy. If there's like only a couple seconds left in the game and you're at the free throw line and your team's down by two points, you've only got one free throw left. You have to throw the ball at the rim, grab it and make a shot. And and if you've ever tried to do that, it's almost impossible to do. It's so difficult. So all I'm going to do is tell you, watch the final 2.7 seconds of the University of Rochester's game against the University of Chicago. University of Rochester against University of Chicago. Dude at the free throw line. Down two, he fires the ball off the rim. It comes right back to him. He throws it to a guy in the corner who buries a three-pointer for the win. This is what makes college basketball great. So Google that one. That's my parting shot. Watch it. It's fabulous basketball. Nice. All right, so I have two quick ones. Uh, the first one is congratulations to Kenny Anuniki and Juwan Thompson because your right finger is about to get a little bit heavier because those two guys were on the Denver Broncos and will be receiving Super Bowl rings. So congratulations to them. Also, my other one is 
NBA All-Star Weekend is coming up, and Duke will be fully representing all weekend. We have Quinn Cook, who will be representing the uh, east of the uh, NBA D-League uh, as an All-Star. He is one of the best players in the D-League so far this year, and hopefully it's been a tremendous honor to, for him. Um, hopefully this means that he's going to be the NBA sooner rather than later. Um, he plays for the Cannon Charge, which is the D-League affiliate for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Also, Duke will have three players in the Rising Star Challenge, which is the uh, first and second year game. Rodney Hood, Jabari Parker, and Jula Okafer made that team uh, for the Team USA. Uh, and also, J.J. Redick will be in a three-point contest. He leads the league in three-point percentage um, and has a great chance to win, but he's going up against a lot of firepower, including Steph Curry, who we have talked about several times on this podcast because he's so ridiculous. So a ton of Dukies will be representing in Toronto this weekend, and I cannot wait to watch all of it. So... With that, uh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, so I just, I just remembered one other thing I wanted to mention. All right, guys, trivia question time. Are you ready for this one? Are y'all both listening? I'm listening. Okay. Trivia question, and and James Armstrong. I'm 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 friends with James Armstrong via email. James Armstrong is the guy who designed the DBR, the at least the the code of it, and and the DBR boards and things like that. James Armstrong, a great friend of any Duke online person. Um, James Armstrong sent this out tonight. When do you think was the last time a Duke team coached by Coach K won in Cameron over a ranked opponent when Duke was unranked? When was the last time a Coach K coached unranked Duke team beat a ranked opponent in Cameron? 1996. I was going to go with 1985. February 28th of 1981. Oh, my God. February 28th of 1981. Duke, 66. North Carolina, 65 in overtime. That's the last time. And, and it's, really, it's, it's really a story of how often Duke is ranked because Duke's basically been ranked almost continually since, since, the, you know, since like 83 or so, um, you know, with a couple small, small, brief, brief interruptions. But February 28th, 1981 was the last time Coach K – coached a Duke, an unranked Duke team over a ranked opponent in Cameron. It is worth noting that Duke did win in Cameron when they were unranked. When Pete Gaudette was coaching us, we beat a Georgia Tech team um, during Coach K's 1995 sort of lost season uh, where he where he's not able to coach. But that was not a Coach K coach Duke team. That was a Pete Gaudette coach Duke team. So now I'm done. Donald, were you alive for that game? I was not alive for that game. I was born in 82. Yeah. Um, so you, weren't even, before, you weren't even a twinkle in anyone's eye at that point, were you? Nope, I was not. Um, my parents had just had not gotten married yet at that point. <laughs> that was, was, it, it's been a while. <laughs> I was 14. 14. Damn. Wow. Jason, you are, uh, you're an old man. Thanks. <laughs> I'm, 50. I'm 49. I'm not 50 yet. I'm not old. <laughs> hey, you know what? That is how we're going to end it, too. This is going to do it uh, this week on the DVR <laughs> podcast. You can catch us on the DVR forums at forums.dukebasketballreport.com. We will catch you next week uh, for Sam Klein and Jason Evans. I'm Donald Wine. Duke Band, take us out, please. Can't believe we're talking about my age. Can't believe we're talking about my age. <laughs> you're, you're, always All right. be, you're always going to be the oldest member of this, of this show until you get somebody old to join. So until I keel over and die from a heart attack.
give you a big Labor Day surprise. Most people think if we all exercise the same and eat the same, we'd all look the same. And let me tell you why that's wrong. Your body is unique and your metabolism is unique. I'm Lacey Green, and I'm a super trainer at Body. That's B-O-D-I dot com. And you can't see me, but I don't look like your average personal trainer. I'm curvy, and I'm proud of it. So I created a program for beginners only on the Body app to show people like us how to get incredible results and be our version of happy and healthy. This isn't just workout videos. It's people like you and me. It's community. It's incredible trainers. It's easy to follow nutrition and mindset experts to help you reduce stress and just feel better. And you can get started with my new program called For Beginners Only. Now, here's the big surprise. If you go to body.com right now, that's B-O-D-I.com, not only can you get everything Body has to offer at 50% off with an annual membership, you'll also get an additional 20% off, but only during Labor Day weekend. Let's do this together. Go to body.com. That's body with an I.com.